If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. My name is Rob Gorski, and you're listening to the Autism Dad podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time to tune in again this week. I really appreciate it. I hope that as you're listening to this, uh, you and your loved ones and your friends and family and everyone in your world is safe and healthy. I hope it continues to stay that way. Um, we'll get through this. It's it's not easy. It It's just not easy. And I know that as I'm recording this, we're on day 54 of total lockdown. Uh, I haven't had contact with an adult in 54 days. Uh, so I, I understand at least to some extent what you're going through, but it serves a purpose and, and we're all in this together. So, so stay strong, stay safe, stay smart, stay healthy, and, uh, we'll get on with the show. My guest today is Dr. Mary Jane Weiss. Uh, she has been in the field of autism and ABA for over 35 years. For the past eight years, she's been at Endicott College, where she is the director of the ABA department including the master's and PhD programs. Uh, Dr. Weiss also does research and training at the Melmart Agency. Yeah, I've been a parent to an autistic child for 20 years. I have no idea how to help my kids get through this. And, and I'm looking for any insight, any experience, anything that can help me help my kids. Uh, and I'm hoping that, that this benefits more than just me. I hope that it benefits you guys as well. Uh, Dr. Weiss is very experienced in in the field of of autism and ABA and behavioral therapy and things like that. And so uh, I thought she would be a perfect guest and she was gracious enough to take some time to come on the show and uh, have a conversation about this. So I will play that for you guys in its entirety following this quick commercial break. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
Uh, and we're back. And today we have uh, Mary Jane. Uh, she's with us to help us. Uh, well, we're going to have a discussion about how to help our autistic kids or just kids in general, really, get through this COVID-19 lockdown because it's creating a lot of destabilizing um, situations, I guess would be a good way to maybe put it. Uh, so Mary Jane, thank you for, for taking the time to come on the show. And, and uh, we've had a long conversation before this point. And so we're going to just kind of pick it up from here. But uh, would you, would you take a, a couple minutes and just sort of talk a little bit about your experience and, and uh, what you do? Sure. Um, I am the executive director of programs in ABA and autism at Endicott College, where I oversee master's degree programs in applied behavior analysis and a PhD program in applied behavior analysis. And I've spent my whole career in um, educating individuals who want to work with individuals on the autism spectrum, whether they be teachers or behavior analysts or other um, professionals that want to focus on the special needs of that particular population. I've been at Endicott College for about nine years now. And before that, I was at Rutgers University in New Jersey for 16 years. Um, where I also taught classes in behavior analysis, but worked at a center for individuals with autism as well. And um, throughout my whole career, I've done a lot of supervision and training and working with families and uh, working directly, sometimes in a direct care role and sometimes in a consultative role with kids on the spectrum. So I think I have a pretty good understanding of what some of their challenges are and what the challenge of those families are. I've always had a career long interest in stress and the impact of autism, not just on the person with autism, but on the family as a whole, on parents, on siblings. And um, so it's it was great that you asked me to talk about this because I think that's always something I'm acutely aware of. But when we when we talk about coronavirus and the changes that have happened in every family and for every child. Um, it's just a matter of, of magnification when you look at what's happened for kids with autism and their families. Okay. So I guess that leads me to my, my first question, which is kind of a, a big one, I guess. Uh, what, what are the difficulties that parents of autistic kids are facing right now? What, what kind of challenges are their kids facing? And and uh, what makes the, the COVID-19 situation so difficult? I think, you know, the COVID-19 situation has been destabilizing for every parent, right? And for every family. But I think for, for families with individuals with autism in it, probably the primary issue has been the radical shift to all instruction and all experience taking place at home the complete absence of the daily routine. And, you know, any of us who live with or uh, work with people with autism know that routine is meaningful and helpful to most individuals on the autism spectrum. Hey, it's, it's meaningful and helpful to all of us. Most of us function in part as a function of the routines we set in place for ourselves to get through the day and to set goals for ourselves. But that need for individuals with autism is often more pronounced. And so as parents and as educators who work with that group of individuals, we 
respond to that by providing routine, by helping them understand routine, by creating all kinds of supports for them to understand what's coming next, to understand how long we're going to be doing this, to understand what you do where, what tasks need to be worked on at home versus school. And all of that has now radically changed in terms of sending everyone home. And while parents of typically developing children are struggling with what does it mean to make sure my kid is engaged in their schoolwork, it's at a whole different level for parents of kids on the spectrum because many of them are not able to independently do whatever work has been sent home or independently participate in whatever kind of Zoom or other sessions have been set up with their instructors. And so really what it's done is radically transform the the daytime life of parents of kids with autism, where now they really need to be extremely involved in structuring that child's day, in teaching that child's goals um, in ways that, that generally far exceed what they were doing, even if they were an extremely involved parent before that. What? Okay, so I, I guess when when it comes to what the parents themselves are experiencing right now, how would you how would you explain that to people who are not um, autism parents? Um, I would say that you know being a parent of a kid with autism is like extreme parenting all the time, <laughs> um, and it, it's um, it's hard to understand. If you're not experiencing that, I think that's why parents of individuals with autism really gravitate toward one another mm-hmm. and find a very unique kind of support in um, in the community of other parents of kids with autism. I, I've always found that really interesting, but I think there's a reason for it. And it's because the kind of stress and the kind of strain that Um, parents of kids with autism experience on a daily basis is different. I mean, if you look at the stress literature in psychology, it will tell you all kinds of things about having nothing to do with autism. It will tell you all kinds of things that make a particular stressful situation harder to cope with or more associated with stressful effects. And it includes things like um, the ambiguity of the situation the unpredictableness of the situation and things like the rarity of the experience. And if you think that living with an individual with autism is both of those things, even though we might not think about that, because you can't predict day to day, moment to moment. Um, you can't necessarily put things in place that are going to make sure things go the way you hope they go. And even though the incidence and prevalence are increasing, it's still pretty rare for most parents of individuals with autism to know someone really well in their regular life that also has a kid with autism. And so you meet them through the autism community, and then you have that community of people. But most of us don't um, have a sense of what it's like in terms of the 24-hour constant vigilance and worry that characterizes a lot of parents with autism's daily lives. That was a really good a good way to explain that I've, I've tried for many years to sort of articulate what it's like. And it's, it's really tough to, to, 
express that in a way that is not offensive to, I guess, typical parents, uh, because parenting in general is not easy. But when you're parenting a child with autism, it's, I always say it's, it's, you know, it's 25 hours a day, eight days a week, 366 days a year for the rest of my natural life. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a challenge. It's worth it. It's rewarding. Uh, and it's as rewarding as it is challenging, but it is, but it is challenging and you can't, there is no real, in my view, direct comparison between raising whatever neurotypical kids, if we refer to them as neurotypical and autistic kids, everybody's different. There's challenges associated across the board, but it's just, it's just a different existence, I think. And, um, I think that is true. I think that's objectively true and probably not understood by people who aren't living it, Yeah. but people who live it know it. Um, and, and so I think it's the same. So like, so COVID comes, it brings stress to every family. It brings stress to every household. Mm -hmm. Every parent is struggling with what this means in terms of making sure my kid's engaged in school and it's going to finish ninth grade or whatever it is. Right. right. But it's at a whole different level for parents of individuals with autism. And I think about the fact that lots of those parents, if they're lucky enough to still be employed in this era, are also trying to balance the demands of working from home, maybe having other typically developing kids or special needs kids that that need assistance in um, engaging with their tasks at school, and then add in a layer of um, an individual with autism who might need tremendous and close attention throughout all waking hours. And you realize what a trap that is for parents in terms of feeling any sense of success yeah. in being able to manage all those competing demands. I, I will say that, um, well, I, I, wrote, uh, I wrote a post a while back. Um, I called it broken plates because I was trying to figure out a way to explain to people what it's like to be an autism parent in a very sort of, you know, down to earth practical way. And so I, I looked at it as we have to juggle plates, right? Like every parent has to juggle these plates. When you're an autism parent, you're having, you've got to keep all these plates in the air, but you also have somebody somewhere hurling plates at you constantly. And in real time, you have to decide which one of the plates that you already have in the air are expendable so that you can pick up whichever one is more important that's being hurled at you and 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 then decide which ones are okay to drop. And and a lot of times what, what people do is they, you know, they look at the situation and they see all those that shattered glass on the floor and they think like, oh my gosh, like you're just dropping the, the ball on everything, right? You have this huge mess because you just can't keep up with everything. But they're not paying attention to the fact that you are juggling a hundred thousand different things. And, and this is all that hit the floor. Right. So, right. Um, I, I sort of butchered that analogy. I'll put a link to this in the description so that people can read it. And it, it's, I wrote it better than when I just explained it. But, um, the point was, is that, it, it, you know, you can't judge a parent who's raising an autistic kid by the piles of laundry in their house or, um, the stack of unpaid bills or, or things like that, because what you're not paying attention to is the is the extreme level of of um, determination, focus, and uh, devotion, 
and, and just time consuming everything that goes into raising a child with autism. And then you have people who like myself who have more than one child with autism uh, or who have three kids with autism and one of them is medically fragile, which adds a whole new dimension to everything. Uh, and so it, it is just, it, it's important that people understand. And we're in Autism Awareness Month at the time that we're recording this. That's sort of gone under the radar uh, right yeah. now. But um, so but I think you're right. And I think what what's not appreciated about those situations is that parent who let all those plates drop probably made fantastically smart decisions yeah. throughout that day about exactly letting that particular plate drop yep. because they were able to prevent so many other problems by turning their attention elsewhere. And you have, and, and that judgment is a moment to moment skill. Yeah. It's real time. Like at, at the time they're being thrown at you, you have to be aware of what's already up there figure out which one is expendable because that one that's coming at you may be the most important thing you have to do that day. And then right after that, there may be one more that's important and you have to drop that one. I mean, it, it's this real time, constant stream of, um, of prioritizing. That is, it, 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 it's absolutely exhausting because it just never seems to end, you know? So I think one of the real risks for parents in this particular era, as we've now added um, to their list of daily expectations and burdens. And now you're going to be the primary instructor for your child, or at least um, the, the person who's going to make sure that the instructional objectives are met for that day. So I think there's a risk. And now you know, we're taking a, a very highly stressed group of people and we're adding a new layer of expectations. And, and I, and, you know, I know parents with autism are fully committed to their kids and they're going to want to meet those demands. They're going to want those to meet those demands excellently. They're going to want to run the goals. They're going to want to take data. They're going to want to tell the teacher what's happening. And some of that is going to be achievable some of the time, mm -hmm. but there's going to be days when the plates are flying in the air and they're going to have to let some things go. And I worry that that's going to make parents of, of kids with autism feel like they're not doing right by yeah. their kid. They're not getting enough done, which only adds to the stress. You perceive it as a failure. And well, not you, I'm, I'm speaking for myself. Like, yeah. I, I know that on my very best day, if, if, if I am full of the resources that I need, uh, I'm not enough. No matter what I have to give, I will never be enough to meet all three of my kids' needs. I'll be lucky if I can meet one of my kids, all of their needs in one day. And when you have multiple kids, whether you have, you know, a, a typical sibling and an autistic uh, sibling, you now, in a lot of ways, I think it's even more complex because now you have to balance. You, you don't want the, the typical sibling to get lost in a shuffle. You don't want um, your autistic kid to get lost in a shuffle or not get their needs and you can't, you know, so, so your, your attention is divided and there's simply not enough of you to, to right. accommodate all these needs. And so it is, there is, there is a, I, I think an autistic child's parent is harder on themselves than anyone else could ever be. All the judgment and things that, that we get from people, you know, it's a little bit better now. I don't get it too much, but um, I'm so much harder on myself than anybody else could be. Uh, right. 
And, and so I know there's a lot of parents out there right now who are, who are struggling with that. So I, I hope that they listen to this and realize that they're not alone. And, um, that if I took a picture of my house right now, <laughs> I, I, I would not want people to see it. I, like it, it just, I'm so behind on everything. You know, I, I'm right. And I feel like I'm failing, but, but there's only so much of me to go around. And, uh, I, I just can't, I can't do it. And we know that we've got to be able to sustain this effort, right? This isn't going to end next week. And so we've got to pace ourselves. This is going to be more of a marathon than a sprint, sprint. right? Um, And so we've got to pace ourselves and, and realize and be kind to ourselves as parents in terms of what's possible and what we're capable of, you know, in this moment, in this day, in this week. And there are lots of ways to help kids with autism learn things. It doesn't all have to be, you know, one-to-one instruction the way it was done in school. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, maybe there is that can be reserved for just a few skills that everyone agrees really still need that level of intensity. But I think one of the big pushes should be on maintenance of skills. Like let's figure out how we're going to make sure we don't lose a lot of ground for stuff that they have mastered and learned. Mm-hmm. First of all, those skills are usually easier to review. They can be embedded into things. Maybe you can work on um, colors while sorting laundry. Maybe you can work on measuring while making dinner. You know, maybe there are ways that that this can just become part of other things that need to go on in the house. And I'm not sitting down and taking data on how many times you identified red correctly, but I'm working on the yeah. things I know have been built up in your repertoire that your teacher would want me to work on. I have, uh, well, we were talking before the show about mm-hmm. my kids and their schoolwork, and that's sort of been the bane of my existence right now. Um, and I, and it finally got to a point where I, I had to make a decision that we were going to survive over top of, I had to prioritize their emotional health and well-being, yes. and, and the schoolwork was just, too much uh, for them. It doesn't mean learning is going to stop. It just means that that particular, it was like an artificial structure. You're trying to, you're, you're trying to implement or implement a school structure into a home structure, which the kids aren't going to adapt to right off the bat. Anyways, they're going to be resistant because in order to do that, you have to disrupt what they have at home. And, and so you're, it's like this perfect storm of anxiety and overstimulation and all of those things that lead to meltdowns and distress and uh, all of that makes an already challenging situation immensely more so. And, and so what I've done with my kids is, you know, like you can ask kids now, nobody, they may not understand how pandemics work, right? But they understand zombie apocalypse. And so I've taken the, the, uh, the situation, and I've told my kids, we're gonna we're gonna treat this like a zombie apocalypse, and because no one's gonna freak out about that because they know that's not real, but they know through video games and TV and whatever how you survive in a zombie apocalypse. Uh, a zombie apocalypse. My mouth isn't working, um, and so you know everybody in my family has a unique skill. They have strengths and they have things that they still need to to work on, and so. Uh, you know, we inventory our supplies. We make sure that the doors are locked at night and, and just, um, 
you know, we come up with projects that can improve our situation uh, around the house. Um, you know, we make sure that we are prepared, but that we do everything we can not to panic. You know, we can go outside and play in the yard, but if there's a lot of people that start coming around or whatever, uh, we need to go back in the house. You know, right. we, we plan out what kind of groceries we're going to need two weeks from now. And and so I'm, I'm trying to get them. They, they tend to want to live like in the moment, you know, mm-hmm. and so I'm, I'm trying to get them to do that because we should all sort of live in the moment. But um, but balance it a, a little more and help them sort of put more of this back into their control so that they don't feel so helpless and anxious and and it's it's been mostly positive. I mean, you can't escape the news. It's it's on YouTube. It's it's everywhere. So they are aware of the death count and uh, infection rates and things like that. And they they there's there's aside from just cutting off the internet, there's really no way to av- avoid a lot of that stuff right now. And uh, so. My son is trying to climb under the door again. Emmett, John, what do you need, honey? Would you like to come in and lay down on a bed? Okay, come on. But you're right. And I mean, I I, I, I think. Oh, not you. I'm sorry, him. Okay. I, I was just looking at you while I was sorry. It's totally fine. I wasn't sure. I, mean, I, think, <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I think that you've taken something that um, is known to them and that they might be motivated by, and you've found a way to kind of um, put some of the lessons about what we've got to do every day in a context that they might find um, familiar and motivating. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. It was a, it was, it was just they're more familiar with that, and it takes some of the fear out of it. Because they 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 know that the zombie apocalypse isn't real, but we can the things that we would do for zombie zombie apocalypse is is things that we need to do now for to to keep ourselves safe from the COVID virus. You know, we, we exactly. wash our hands, uh, we avoid contact with other people. We have to, um, you know, they visit their their mom and grandparents and aunts and uncles via Zoom or yeah some other whatever they use. Uh, and and we you know we don't. Um, we conserve food and, and supplies and things like that, like you would in, in a zombie apocalypse or whatever. And, and so it, it's just a different way of framing it that helps them to be more proactive in what they're doing without creating this level of stress that just sort of derails everything. So You mentioned something else that I think is really important, which is a focus on the behaviors mm-hmm. that we do need, all of us need to develop very different new behaviors, hand washing. I mean, while that's an everyday activity, we're now being asked to do that at a much higher level of frequency and vigilance Mm -hmm. in terms of potential exposure. Um, The social distancing, what does it mean to be six feet apart from people? That's a pretty abstract thing. Is there something we can do that make that more concrete? You know, even at some of the... um, Stores have started uh, putting, putting tape on tape. the floor. Yeah, exactly. But those are things that we can also do. Like if you, you know, um, in terms of of teaching opportunities and giving more information about that, wearing masks. A lot of individuals with autism are sensitive to various kinds mm-hmm. of experiences from a sensory perspective. It's likely 
when we return to normal, that there's going to be a high expectation in situations involving risk that people wear masks. Is there something we could do now to build up some tolerance to wearing masks for individuals um, that might take some time to acquire that tolerance? Maybe we could even learn, are there certain textures that are less problematic for them? Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like those are opportunities that we have in this time at home to start thinking about some of those issues that that might help. So I kind of like the idea of focusing on what are these what are these new behaviors that all of us need to start engaging in. I think equipping them with skills to talk on Zoom is terrific mm-hmm. because maybe that is the only way there can be conversations with grandma and grandpa for some time to come. Yeah. And it's a way for them to maintain the social connection while not putting themselves at risk. My my youngest uh who came into the room, um, he has been talking to one of his friends on, you've been using Zoom, right? Yeah. You were using Zoom? Okay. I thought you were using, oh, you're using Google Hangouts. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and so he's able to keep in touch with uh, some of his friends. That so way. important. We set up, uh, I have a Minecraft realm that the kids and I use uh, to, to all work together from wherever we happen to be at. And, uh, you know, we've opened it up to invite like his friends to come in and, and so they can all play something constructive and even educational, uh, together. And so there's still a way of connecting that is maybe more personal than, than just, uh, phone calls or emails or or something like that. So that's, you know, like I said, I'm trying it's very difficult to implement the educational structure of school into a home environment that is already structured in such a way that it's kind of the only way it works. <laughs> and and exactly. we're trying to merge two things that just aren't necessarily compatible and it creates turmoil. And I, I guess if we're going to be here in the long term, I'm better off maintaining a structure at home that provides stability for these guys, keeps them emotionally uh, sustained and feeling safe and, and like as predictable as we can, and then use the the COVID-19 experience to teach life lessons, you know, why yes. it's important to wash your hands and why we're going to wash our hands with soap and water before we would turn to hand sanitizer or, you know, because even shifting from that was a problem. Like we, we relied on hand sanitizer for almost everything just because we did for a long time. And now we've moved to soap and water and that's an adjustment. You wouldn't think it's yeah. a big deal, but it's a big adjustment. And and it's something yeah. that we've, you know, I've had to, to, had to work with them on and they're doing pretty good. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it's definitely, it's definitely a challenge. And then I, I guess I wanted to know in your opinion, like, what do you think autistic kids are experiencing with all of this? Well, I think the number one thing they're experiencing is disruption. Mm-hmm. complete disruption, I mean, utter disruption to their daily routine, to their expectations of how their day is going to be, to how they learn, where they learn, who they see on a daily basis. And and I mean, that's not different from any of us, right? All of us, all of our lives have been turned upside down. But I think we have to be really sensitive to the um, the way in which that disruption might be impacting individuals with autism in 
in specific and in more difficult ways, because many individuals with autism rely on their daily routine and their structure, and they value it mm-hmm. um, at a high level. And it can be confusing. It's interesting. I was having a conversation recently with somebody who was struggling because their son didn't believe them that school was closed and kept referencing the calendar and saying, like, it's open, like the school calendar. Like, Mm -hmm. I know it's not vacation. I know the school is open and really was in terrible distress because they thought everybody else was at school. But they were being prevented from going. It was really like a they they didn't trust the information because it didn't match with the calendar. That's always been the answer. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you talking about? School is open. So you change the calendar. So what they did. Well, that's a great idea. Um, What they ended up doing, which was kind of brilliant. um, And they maintained social distancing while they did it. But they actually arranged the director of the school met them. And let him see, let him walk through the dark classrooms, let him see that there was nobody there, not a single staff member, not a sing- single kid. And it it alleviated the anxiety and the distress because he was able to then see. But my goodness, a revised calendar would have been an even better idea. <laughs> well, I didn't know if something like that would work or would they, is it just, like my kids would notice the change. Like I can't sneak anything by them. I, right. I have to be exhaustively creative to work with my kids. <laughs> um, he's over there smiling. Uh, but it's a, such an interesting thing because would you have ever thought of that? And that was just idiosyncratic to that kid, right? I'm not saying that lots of other kids with autism are wondering that, but it's just so interesting that that, that actually happened for that individual that it didn't, it didn't add up to him because his calendar is how he guides his life. It's and conflicting information. And then they, yes. they, they default to what they know to be fact. Yes. And correct. And so I wonder if you change the, like when they're, when they're sleeping or something or when they're not paying attention, not that that ever happens, but uh, you could, you could make adjustments to the calendar or update the calendar or something. I wonder, update the calendar to say home instruction because of COVID or whatever, just something that makes it more consistent. Do you, do you think that that would be accepted or would there be resistance to that? Or it'd be sort of individual? Uh, it might've worked. It, it just probably individualized, but, um, but I think it's interesting just as a, as an example of some of the idiosyncratic struggles somebody could have um, and, and how tough this is. From a comprehension perspective, I mean, we as adults are struggling every day to understand this. And we walk around all day saying to one another, like, isn't this unbelievable? It is unbelievable. And every one of us is struggling to adapt to our new reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, um, you know, that's true for individuals with autism, too, that that this is unbelievable. And the way in which they're struggling to understand it is individualized, but they are struggling to understand it. I don't know that it's commonly known amongst the general population just how important structure and routine is for autistic kids. When I when yes. I try to implement a structure routine, my kids are always resistant because they they may think they don't want it or it doesn't benefit them. But if I don't do it, then it's like chaos. Um, right. How can how can parents start to create or reestablish routines? Um, 
sort of as we're as we're going into this new normal you know i think it's so important it's a great point for all of us for typically developing kids and for kids with autism most importantly um you know all of every i feel like it's groundhog day right we all feel like it's groundhog day like i wake up i get on zoom and then it's 10 p.m <laughs> and i go to bed and i wake up and i get on zoom and i go to bed and every day is is melding into another but um but creating some daily routines helps um, to um, kind of help us help us all be goal oriented in the context of a day. So it's not a good time, even though you could, it's not a good time to just let people sleep in, mm-hmm. you know, because we don't have to get up and catch the bus or drive them to school, but we should still get up. We should still get up. We should still have breakfast. Everybody should still get dressed for the day. You may be able to make different clothing choices than you would make when you had to leave the house every day, but doing things that you would ordinarily do as part of starting the day is really important in terms of launching you towards some productivity for the day. Um, Making sure you have still got routines for things like showering, tooth brushing, meals at regular times, not drifting into everybody's kind of doing their own thing and eating at different times. And we are not necessarily showering when we used to. Those are tempting because in fact, the pressure is off from a expectation of having to get places perspective. Yet the the more we drift from some of those basic routine-based things, as you mentioned, the word chaos, Mm -hmm. the more chaotic the day becomes and the more resistant to structure we all become. So even though it's difficult, I think um, creating some kind of makeshift routine around when we eat and around when we do certain things, you know, taking an evening family walk at five o'clock before dinner, for example, Mm -hmm. Um, just putting some things in place that help everyone um, understand and expect certain activities at certain times. Some families are doing, you know, Tuesday night family game night and Thursday night family movie night. Um, those are all things that are still in our control and might help us all get through this with some semblance of order. I'm, I'm like, I'm taking all of this in because that is something that I'm struggling with. You know, as as a single parent, it's it's tough to yes. well it's tough before any of this and then you add in autism and fragile health and in COVID-19 and all this other stuff and it's very easy to take a path of least resistance and it's sort of easy in the moment but it's 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 I'm realizing how short-sighted that is <laughs> because it, it creates it, it creates a new routine of no routine if that makes sense right and and right. that leads to uh, sleep disruption and uh, not eating on a regular schedule, overeating, stress eating, not eating enough. I mean, and and I know just as an adult, like it's hard to remember self care right now because I like I just so hard. I I find myself just like, you know what? Like all this stuff is going on. I think I'm just gonna go, you know, eat this or or you know, like like who cares? Like it's not gonna matter. But we're not gonna be in this forever. And right. And if as hard as it's going to be to adapt to whatever the new normal is, the sooner we get started on that process, the farther ahead our kids will be when 
because I think it's sort of predictable to some extent what it's going to be like. You know, we talked about masks and um, yes. maybe it's going to be home education for a while or, or something. Uh, or periodically. Periodically, yeah. And mm-hmm. and and we can start sort of preparing for that now and at least getting the idea of of that sort of rolling around in there and and and, and helping them to even just sort of emotionally prepare for a future change. Um, and everything else we've said still holds, right? So when those plates are flying at you, you need to relax it. Maybe today's not going to work for a morning shower. And you're still going to have to make those judgments and allow for that space that needs to be given. And you're still going to need to say to yourself as a parent, like, um, you know, that's fine that not everybody got up at nine o'clock this morning. It's fine. It was the best thing today. You know, so um, I think it's it's also a balance of not being too rigid with your own expectations of what life should look like on a daily basis, but having some of those sort of goals and structures in place for yourself about what you're hoping to achieve so that you don't find yourself, as, as you said, kind of as the new structure is no structure, because yeah. that will make it difficult to, to either return to a more structured life in a school-based setting, mm-hmm. ultimately, or to um, ensure that real instruction is happening in a home-based setting. Mm-hmm. So kind of, you know, knowing that those are the options available to us, we want to kind of think, okay, so what are the skills and structures I could put in place that increase the chances of being able to adapt to either of those situations in the future? And it provides stability, right? Like right. When, I, when I was a kid, if my parents told me that I needed to do something, it would be annoying to me. Like I I don't, you know, you want to, like, I wanted to be able to do whatever I wanted, whatever I wanted. Uh, it didn't work that way. But for, for kids on a spectrum, they truly need, they rely on structure and yes. routine uh, to keep them grounded. You know, it's very predictable. They need as much predictability as you can provide for them. Uh, so I always tell, I always tell people like, don't ever promise my kids something that you're not going to do. <laughs> like you I, can't tell them one thing and then do another because they will never let go of that. And they generalize and anytime, I mean, we've had instances where, where it's totally innocent, but it, it just becomes, um, they don't recognize. And it's hurtful. Yeah. And they yeah. don't, they don't recognize that, uh, or my, you know, my kids won't recognize that sometimes life happens and, right. you know, it isn't that they lied to you. They didn't lie to you, but they didn't know this was going to happen and we have to, you know, adapt. So there's, there's always, there's always something that is, uh, challenging. Um, I guess really my last question is when we're dealing with the COVID-19, uh, situation, how, how can we best explain that to our kids without creating undue anxiety? Like I, t- I talked about the zombie apocalypse thing, but maybe that doesn't work for everybody. Um, right. what, what would you, how would you recommend approaching that? I've been kind of impressed with some of the materials that have been made available by um, some of the autism organizations, um, including a lot of picture-based descriptions or story or scenario-based descriptions of information about COVID. Um, I would say the most important thing is to make sure it's developmentally appropriate based on what your children's understanding is, what they can take in. If we're talking at too high a level, um, it's, you know, it's not going to 
penetrate, right? So you want to make sure that you're hitting them on a level mm -hmm. that makes sense for their ability to take it in. And you want to make sure that it's being presented in a manner that is digestible to them, which is why I really like, and I could send you some of the links for some of the things I've um, accumulated over time that different um, organizations have put out that parents might find interesting and helpful in that regard. And the other thing that I've seen organizations focus on and that we already talked about is focus on the behaviors. Focus on what do I need to do differently now that COVID has come for all of us, right? So focus on some of those things like social distancing and why. Focus on the hand washing. Um, and focus on the need to maintain health as best as we can. We need to sleep. We need to eat. We need to make sure our bodies are as strong as they can be in the context of um, potentially fighting this. Yeah. So I think those are some of the concrete pieces. Um, but luckily, we have seen some wonderful resources pop up in a very short period of time um, that you might want to share with your listeners, because I think, um, you know, why reinvent the wheel? Yeah, if you can, um, if you can email me some of that stuff, I'll I'll, I put, will. I'll put all the links in the description so that parents have those uh, resources. As I'd well. be happy to. Uh, is there anything else that you just wanted to say before we close out? Um, maybe that can just help parents like myself survive this, whether it's helping our kids or our own sanity. Uh, so that I mean, I think one of the answers is this: what you do. Um, you were doing this anyway, right? Like mm -hmm. this is, you were already reaching out to the community of other parents. You were, and we are, we were already a community of people that relied on some remote support because we can't always leave our house on Tuesday night to go to a support group somewhere. Um, but I, I think that, um, that using technology to bridge the gap in this time is really important and making parents aware of all the different ways um, that well, they might be able to do Thank you very, that. very much. Um, I really needed to have this conversation because You're I, welcome. myself, you know, I've been, I've been working my oldest for 20 years now almost, but that doesn't make you, I mean, I'm still finding myself lost. Uh, and, and I really appreciate your insights and your advice because I think um, you sort of reinforced some of what I was already trying to do and, and helped me kind of come up with some additional tools or resources that, that can, can help me to make different decisions that might be better for, uh, for my kids. So I, I really appreciate that. Uh, I will have all of your information in the show notes below. Uh, so I, I, again, I really appreciate it. I, I hope you stay sure. safe and healthy and um, the best uh, to you and your family. Same to you. Thank Be you. Well. you. Have a great day. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye-bye. Before I close things out today, I just wanted to take a minute and thank Mary Jane for coming on the show and just sharing her insights and her experiences uh, in the autism and ABA um, world because our kids are struggling right now. And, and this is sort of an unprecedented, um, time in our existence. And, and, and the information that Mary Jane and experience that Mary Jane has is invaluable, uh, to helping our kids to get through this. So thank you so much, uh, Mary Jane, for coming on and, and talking to us about all of this stuff. I know that you have a lot going on yourself, that you are incredibly busy and I'm just very grateful for your time. So thank you very much. 
Uh, as always, you can find me at theautismdad.com. Uh, my social links are at the top of the page. I'm usually only on Twitter, so hit me up there or just shoot a message from the blog and I'll get back to you. You can subscribe to this podcast via any one of your favorite podcasting apps. I really don't care which one it is. Uh, I just would like you to hit the subscribe button if you don't mind. Um, I appreciate that. There is a link in the show notes that will allow you to help support the podcast if you are interested in doing that. Outside of that, um, I just want to say thank you to everyone who is doing their part, who is staying home. I know the sacrifice that it takes to do that. I know how difficult it is. I know how challenging it is, but I also know that it's, it's the only way that we're going to get through this. Um, by staying home, you're helping to protect people like my son who is immunocompromised. Uh, you're helping to protect people who are living with HIV AIDS or fighting cancer or uh, have other underlying health conditions that render them vulnerable. Um, by staying home, we are helping to protect the hospitals, the nurses, the doctors, the techs, the janitors, the staff, uh, first responders, police, fire, EMS, the people who are making sure there's food on the shelves at the grocery store, people who are delivering the food uh, to people like me because I can't leave the house. We protect all of them. We're doing our part so they can do theirs. And, and if we all do our parts and we keep each other safe and we stick together, we'll get through this. Um, I, I just, I really appreciate all the sacrifice that everyone is making. Uh, and I just wanted to say that. So I will talk to you guys next Friday. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross-trains motor movement, visual, auditory, and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games. Strengthened connections allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com, that's K-I-N-U-U dot com, and be sure to use the code theautismdata at checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.